Welcome back to another edition of the Journal and Drugs of Dermatology podcast, Ask an Investigator, sponsored by Cypher Pharmaceuticals. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Friedman from George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Today, we, we have with us Dr. Jared Jagdeo, Associate Professor of Dermatology in the Department of Dermatology at UC Davis. Dr. Jagdeo is a physician scientist with internationally recognized expertise in the clinical and laboratory intricacies pertaining to the effects of light, laser, and energy-based devices on skin for therapy and imaging. Dr. Jagdeo is a frequent podium speaker at national and international conferences and publishes quite regularly. Dr. Jagdeo has received funding for his research from the National Institute of Health, Howard Hughes Medical Institute, and many other sources. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start off by talking about your recent article published in the January 2017 edition of the JDD titled, A Systematic Review of Paradoxical Adipose Hyperplasia Post-Cryolipolysis. That is quite a mouthful. Why don't we start by what is cryolipolysis and, of course, what is uh, paradoxical adipose hyperplasia? That sounds great. Cryolipolysis is the freezing effect to help remove unwanted areas of fat on the body. Initially, this discovery was founded in the science and the discovery of popsicle paniculitis that caused cryolipolysis in children that happened and was noted over 50 years ago, wherein little children would use, would have ice popsicles and that cold temperature that transferred from the ice popsicle to the fat, oftentimes in the mouth, would result in a loss of fat in the skin tissue. And that was harnessed to then use that concept to treat unwanted areas of fat in patients for body contouring. That started off in about 2008 in the United States and has been developed and advanced ever since. PAH, or paradoxical hyperplasia, has been a problem that was noticed as the systems for cooling and conducting uh, body contouring has been in the market, and that led to different challenges wherein patients sometimes who would go in for treatments to have fat removed ended up having pockets of fat that actually were enlarged after the treatment. So this is actually a concern for not only patients but for dermatologists and other body contouring physicians, and also the company as well that uh, sells the cooling devices. So with that, what was the impetus for the study now? Like, What was the kind of driving force that said, hey, we got to do this, we really got to figure this out? The impetus for this study was really, I've been going to a lot of different conferences, the ASDS and other meetings, where a lot of different podium speakers present one or two cases. However, the conversation in the audience is that, wow, we've had cases, different physicians have had cases where it hasn't been published in the literature and people really note that this actually seems to occur with greater frequency. One thing is, is that the company does do a good job of reaching out to um, different providers and making themselves available. And any instances of this condition, PAH, should be reported to the company and also the FDA so that we're aware of this sort of post-market data. So what we did was we took a look systematically through the literature to see what 
data was out there, what was actually published to try and get a better understanding and wrap our heads around all of the different cases that are out there and see if we could find any different data in terms of whether or not this affects mainly men, whether or not it affects a certain ethnic group. And we did find actually that there did seem to be a slight preponderance towards uh, patients of Hispanic ethnicities. Um, and then there's a, a little bit of a, about a 50-50 split between men and women actually in a, from a practical standpoint. Furthermore, we also asked the company uh, to get a little bit more of their data and to find out, you know, what exactly is going on, what data do they have, and they said that the incidence rate of this is less than 1%. So that is pretty good. They have a lot of the cases. One thing is, is that there may be some underreporting going on. So that is important to note sure. as well. So, you know, when, when kind of approaching this subject or any subject, we're trying to kind of delve into the literature. And nowadays, there, there's so much out there, so easy to get lost in PubMed, Web of Science. You know, how did you structure your search parameters when going through all the literature and sifting through it to really find the meat here? That's a great point. One thing that we, we classically do here at UC Davis is within my research team, we like to partner with a research librarian so that when we come up with our search terms, we also run those by the research librarian to confirm that those search terms are going to yield all of the articles that are actually published and actually access all of the available databases. So we partner with the research librarian here at the university to make sure that everything is um, as comprehensive as possible and as available to us. Does that usually require funding or are these resources readily available at, at academic institutions? Great point. Usually these resources are available at academic institutions and it's a really good way to partner with um, another academic resource, which is the library, to make sure that you're doing things in a comprehensive manner. Now, beyond you reaching out to the, uh, you know, the, the research librarian, which I think is a great uh, suggestion, for those out there listening and, and interested in, in undertaking a systematic review, any other you know, tricks of the trade you picked up from doing this study past systemic reviews, systematic reviews um, to really help people move forward and not get back down in, in, in the details? One thing I would also recommend is that you also take a look through all of the references and make sure that nothing is missed because that can be a way to cross-reference and cross-check and make sure you kind of captured all of the articles because sometimes a term may not be used that you were hoping for and you can kind of go back and make sure that everything is has been captured one other thing is is make sure that you use the and and or features appropriately so that you're capturing all the articles and then also make sure that you use abbreviations plus the full uh, the fully spelled out terms that you're looking for as well. Great pointers. Uh, so I know you already kind of alluded to some of the results from your study. Uh, what other kind of key findings emerged, maybe even that were somewhat surprising uh, after this uh, systematic review? Well, one of the things that's very interesting, which hasn't really been published yet, but uh, through personal communication with the company, which I am a consultant for as well on this topic, is that the newer technology that is on the market has not yet yielded any cases of PAH yet, but it's also possibly soon, too soon to know because sometimes PAH may show up several months post-treatment, so three to six months maybe after the treatment, which is very important to note. It might not be something that's seen immediately. So 
it's very important to make sure that you have your patients follow up with you at minimum three to six months after the, the treatment to make sure that you've really gotten a chance to see those patients and that the patients are able to um, really get your insight as well as to what's going on post-treatment and making sure that they've had achieved the results that they're looking for. One thing that's very important is some patients may be shy or may feel self-conscious if they have a little bit extra fat in an area that was treated. Maybe they, they might think that they did something incorrectly. It's something that we basically should make sure that we have patients come back on in so that we can counsel them appropriately. And has this study, after kind of going through from you know uh, nuts to bolts, has this changed the way you now practice and, and you utilize cryolipolysis? It really hasn't changed the way that I practice, but the, the main point of this was to be a point of education for other dermatologists and body contouring specialists, and also something for patients if they ever have a question, they can always pull up the article. It's very interesting, uh, serving as the corresponding author on many different articles, patients themselves are avail themselves of PubMed and also uh, they read different manuscripts. They're very interested. They seek out this data. And it's sometimes very helpful for patients as well, not just physicians. So, so what advice do you have based on on this study for those who regularly perform, you know, cryolipolysis may not, you know, as you mentioned, go to you know all those meetings, inter interface with the company. What advice do you have for them if they may not necessarily be aware of this, and what kind of things should they look for in the future? Well, one thing that I really recommend is making sure that all uh, body contouring specialists who use cryolipolysis make sure that they discuss the possibility of PAH with their patients before during the consent period of their patient visit and making sure that patients understand that this is something that is rare but can happen and that it's very important to do follow close follow-up after their treatment. Those are great points. Now, after a word from our sponsor, we'll be back with Dr. Jagdeo to discuss some practical pearls about body contouring as well as delve a little bit more into his research interests. This podcast is brought to you by Cypher Pharmaceuticals a specialty company with a focus on dermatology. Their goal is to bring you best-in-class skincare solutions for unmet medical needs. Currently, they bring you Nuvail and Cidavig. They are continually expanding their prescription product line to offer dermatologists like you and patients new and better options to treat skin conditions. And we're back with Dr. Jared Jagdeo. Uh, we just talked a little bit about his paper, A Systematic Review of Paradoxical Adipose Hyperplasia Post-Cryolipolysis in the January 2017 edition of the JDD. Uh, you know, for me, as someone who really knows absolutely nothing about body contouring, could you maybe give a little bit of an overview even beyond cryolipolysis in terms of, you know, what are the technologies out there? What are the different options and how to, you know, kind of maneuver between them? And maybe even if you're not doing them, be able to guide patients in terms of selecting these various approaches. Those are great points. Well, body contouring is really a, a field that's very near and dear to my heart. This is something that is one of the fastest growing components and segments in terms of what patients are actually seeking out in terms of the aesthetic market. A lot of patients are looking to transform their bodies in a way that will benefit them and help them achieve their desired look. It's really aesthetics beyond the face. And the body is really what patients would like to change and transform next. The nice thing is, is that the gold standard, which is our use of 
liposuction still remains the gold standard. It's the best. It's the most tried and true. It has the longest track record of success and continued success. However, our patients nowadays are looking for low downtime procedures. They're looking for things that they can have done in the office. They can go back to work. They can really re-engage with the rest of their life. And liposuction doesn't allow that to the same degree as some of these non-invasive or minimally invasive uh, modalities allow for. So the different modalities really fall into two categories. One is heating the skin and the other is cooling the skin. In terms of cooling, cooling fat or freezing fat, cool sculpting is basically the market leader in terms of body contouring in, in a non-invasive manner. And how that works is that you freeze fat and you have adipocyte apoptosis. And in terms of heating fat, there are two different technologies really that are out there. There's radiofrequency, which can heat fat, and that really works well. I like using the in-mode platform for that. And then with regards to uh, using lasers to heat fat, there is the Sculpture technology out there, which uses a 1060 diode laser. And it also chills the epidermis so that there's no epidermal damage. And then it actually targets and heats the fat up in order to kind of melt fat away and kill cells in that way. Now, when you have a patient who comes in as a candidate for cryolipolysis specifically, how do you counsel them? How do you walk through the procedure, risks, benefits, all that kind of stuff? So one of the things that I like to share with patients is, is that these technologies really work well on patients who are trying to really contour a small area or really trying to have uh, an area that they've been working on in terms of exercise and dieting, and they just want to get that last little bit kind of over the hump sort of thing. It's not really great for total body transformation. That's really much more towards uh, more surgical interventions and or um, aggressive liposuction. So this is really good for small pockets of fat that you're really trying to reduce or refine and get that little last bit of benefit out of it. Now, have you ever come across PAH? And, and if so, how early how, how can you treat it? How can you address these patients? So I've been fortunate not to have any patients with PAH. However, the way to address it is you send the patients for, uh, again, the gold standard, which is liposuction. You have these patients treated with liposuction, and they usually have great results from there. So at least there are options. That's that's good to know. Absolutely. Um, switching gears a little bit, one one, one of your research foci is on light-based technologies for wound healing, a, an area that's near and dear to my heart as well. Can you please elaborate on some of your work with light-based technologies for wound healing? The exciting work that we're doing in our laboratory and our clinical trials unit is investigating light to prevent scarring or treat scarring. And that's actually kind of the flip side to using low-level light for stimulating wound healing. What we found that's very innovative, and we've received NIH funding for this, is that we're able to use higher amounts of light to inhibit scarring. And that's actually something that hasn't been looked at before, and we're kind of pioneering this whole realm here. What, what wavelengths are you looking at? So we're taking a look actually at the whole spectrum there, basically from visible light in blue, red, and then uh, near-infrared as well. Now, now, given we have devices that can emit the, uh, these wavelengths, are you currently, obviously off-label, using any of these technologies in your own clinical practice? So currently off-label, I'm not using any of these technologies in my clinical practice. We're really 
building this from the ground up. We have a whole program really designed to engage in translational research. So we've done a lot of the preclinical work, at which we continue to do in taking a look at these different wavelengths and figuring out the mechanism of action. And we recently just completed a phase one study to show that these doses of light are safe in patients. And now the next phase, which is going to be a phase two study, is going to show, hopefully, the efficacy of preventing scarring in patients. Well, we're going to definitely have to get you back to talk about one of those papers in the near future, I think. Thank you. Um, any final thoughts for, uh, for the listening audience on body uh, contouring in general and beyond? Well, I think one of the exciting things is, is that this is a, you know, a tremendous market. It's exploded in the, in the past few years, and it's going to continue to grow as patients really continue to seek us out. I think that it's very important that we continue to establish ourselves as dermatologists, as the premier body contouring experts. Liposuction was developed by a dermatologist, and we have traditionally held this within our arena. If we're not the experts in this field, other physicians are going to become the experts in this field, and it's essential that we maintain our excellence in this scope. Phenomenal point to end on. Well, thank you, Dr. Jadeo, so much for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to check out next month's edition of the JDE podcast, Ask an Investigator. Thanks to Cypher Pharmaceuticals, the makers of Nuvale and Citivig, for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to let them know you enjoyed this podcast.